This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Who's back? Andrew's back. Tell a fr- how does the song go? Guess who's know. back? I don't even know what song you're Andrew's singing. back. <laughs> Look who's back. <laughs> guess who's back? Guess who's back? Boom, 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 Hey, it's overdue. Welcome to the podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And this train is rusty. <laughs> we are bumping along these tracks. Um, Andrew's here. We are recording this episode. So, okay, this is a book podcast <laughs> where one of us reads the book and tells the other one about it. So, Andrew's going to tell me about what book this week? Um, Ambered Spyglass by Philip Pullman. It's the third His Dark Materials book. And just to be clear, before we start talking about other stuff, we are, we read books, <laughs> but we're not like literary and we're kind of silly. Yes. And, and I I'm haven't just, like, read I, this we, one. We so regularly get iTunes reviews that are just like, this isn't what I wanted it to be. And it's like, <laughs> great. Maybe you could just not tell me about that and not ruin our numbers yeah. and go find something else. Especially because they didn't order the podcast. Like I would set, like order a sandwich and then send it back if it wasn't what I ordered. Like you ran yeah. into my shop, stole a sandwich and didn't like it and got mad at me. Yeah. Like I'm sorry that I ruined 15 minutes of your life with my <laughs> successful small business and friendship, <laughs> but... I guess I just don't like you don't need to tell me about it. you just don't need to tell me but about you know what Andrew enough of this negativity enough of, enough of this negativity I'm so happy to see you digitally for the first time in several weeks and talk to you because it has been a while um, people have been showering us with digital love because what happened Andrew before we talk about this book something else happened to you I think to me, <laughs> solely to you and no thing. one else. Uh, so yeah, as as you all knew, my wife Susanna and I were expecting a child, and we got what we expected: <laughs> a baby came. Five star review. Five star review. Two stars. This baby wasn't what I expected. No, um, <laughs> our son Henry was born on a day that I'm not going to mention it toward the end of July let's just say yeah a, a week late he himself was overdue which is a joke that many of you made thank you very much everybody yeah it's very good a lot of people <laughs> did really good work on that one um so yeah we we had a good we had a backlog of episodes recorded and to kind of ease cuz okay here's some if you didn't know usually when we record the show it's like we're recording Monday's show eight hours before it goes up. Yeah. And I don't know if that is going to fly anymore because no. it's it's tough out here for a dad. <laughs> so we, as we record this, Henry is not quite, he's like two and a half weeks old. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time you hear it, he'll probably be pushing two months old almost, mm. which is... Or like a month and a half. It's just, it's a different, it's a different time. There is my understanding of newborns is there is the time before six weeks and the time after six weeks. Sure, 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 sure. But two weeks ago, I didn't even think I could get to this point. Like now I am, I am just tired in my bones, but I do feel like I can get to six weeks. Two weeks ago, I was like, I don't. You're going to hit six weeks and you're going to be like, tell me when he's 18. Tell me when he's 18, please. Yeah, we had a baby. Mom, Mom and baby are doing great. Everyone is is fine we are adjusting to the new order of things it's amazing how quickly you get used to stuff sure you wanted oh, you had one anecdote you want to tell me and then we should start talking about this book what oh, did yeah. he do like, to you aside last, from existing last night 
we were in front of the TV and I was, he had, he had eaten. We are, we are breastfeeding him primarily, but supplementing with formula right now because he's just not like drinking good enough. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's just a thing that happens sometimes. And there's some, there's a lot of stuff about breastfeeding that I could go into, but I won't. Not I'm this so, podcast. No, not this podcast. Um, so we gave him some formula and he's been, you know, he's been drinking. He's, we've been supplementing with formula for like a week. He's been totally fine. But last night we gave him an ounce of formula and we're sitting in front of the TV, just getting our glow on. And he just like barfs is not a spit up because babies, <laughs> when babies spit up, it's basically just like white drool. Like yeah. It's not, it's not that big a deal, but he just straight up. Soaked me to the skin, barfed on me. I'm so sorry. And the couch and the quilt that was on the couch. Oh no. And all the clothes I was wearing. Henry is such a party boy. Henry's, I love him Henry's so much. also Henry has also peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, he just he just threw up on me. And it is a month ago, I'm not sure if another person had just, with no warning, hauled off and thrown up on me. I don't know how chill I would have been about it, but now, nowadays, I'm just like, all right, man. All right, let's talk about this book. This is the so, third yeah, I book. A, I have a baby. If yeah. I'm this, I have a baby, and that will explain everything about how this episode is going to go. Great. Let's just say that. You read the first two books in this series. Um, you Before seemed I was a dad, yes. to enjoy them, so we kept going. Yeah. Um, and this... I don't think I'm saying anything controversial when I say that the first book is far and away the best of the three of them. Okay, sure. Well, and I, as I recall, um, so the first book was published in America as the Golden Compass. Mm-hmm. It is published in the UK as the Northern Lights. Um, the the second book is the Subtle Knife. And this book is the Amber Spyglass. I think you came out of Subtle Knife going, this is the first half of a story. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. And then this, this this one is the second half of it. Oh, good. Okay, good. <laughs> um, this book was published in 2000. Um, it was the first children's book to be listed for the Man Booker Prize, which is the big, like, you wrote a book in English. Good job, prize. Um, when are we going to get the Woman Booker Prize? You're probably not the first person to have said that. I shouldn't be so I probably tired. am not. <laughs> um, you were so happy I was back, and then the first time I do something that's completely on brand, you're just like, all right, yep. wasn't, shut it down. Uh, I Hate forgot. It. I forgot, to be honest. Um, just we're going to like spoil these books because we're going to have to talk about the whole series as a whole, I bet. Um, there's not too much about Pullman that's new that we should probably talk about. Yeah, like, what have you done for me lately, Phil? He has, like, written new books about these characters, yes. apparently. Right. Yeah, he's, he's working on a new trilogy that I think we are part of the way through. Yes. Um, I don't remember how far, because I've like, done no research for yeah, this episode. Maybe, beyond just grabbing clips from the book for It's like La Belle Sauvage, and then Lyra's Oxford, I think, is the next one, or, or mm-hmm. The Book of Dust. Um, yeah, I think they're prequels. Yes, they're prequel books. Um, so I just found like a couple random interviews with him as people were interviewing him about this new series, and like there's a fun one with the New York Times where he talks about... Um, he talks about his writing process. Every day, Andrew, he writes three pages longhand. Okay. I can't imagine writing a novel longhand. I know that people do it, but it just seems I think I would cramping? I would just be thinking about, man, I'm gonna have to type this later. <laughs> true, true. I just true. feel like I I do understand. Like even even though I, I edit exclusively in Google Docs and online like in in type on computers, I do know that just editing feels different when it's on a piece of paper. That's true. That's very it's true. It's just, is, I liked... it, is it better? I don't know if it's necessarily better. I think yeah. maybe, 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 maybe you're being a little more mindful and, and careful about it. But yes. mostly, yeah, I'm just, I'm here to save time and writing mm-hmm. something out on a piece of paper 
and making my 33-year-old's hands hurt and then having to type it in later. That just sounds like too much work. He talked about his office and all the things he keeps on his desk, and, he, and the interview says, there is special paper, too. I started His Dark Materials on the sort of paper you could get 30 years ago, A4 narrow-lined <laughs> with two holes. Then they started making paper with four holes, and I discovered I couldn't write on that. This is what I did that's even more bonkers. I had to finish the amber spyglass, and I could only get four-hole paper, so I got some four-hole paper and some of those little white stickers and put them over the holes. Are you kidding? He then found a Canadian supplier with the paper he wanted and bought what he, he called 10,000 years worth of paper. Oh, my God. Which is the more... Like writerly anecdote. Is it this or is it that thing about George R. R. Martin where he can only write in like word perfect zero on his <laughs> DOS computer? That's I do understand like where this is is coming from. I think I think every writer has a specific setup that even though it doesn't actually help their productivity, they feel that it helps yeah, their productivity. Yeah. And that, that feeling is what actually helps them. Truth. Write. It's, it's not, it's nothing about the actual physical setup of their, <laughs> of their environment. It's all like, I'm, you get in I'm, in, I'm in writing mode now. Yes. This is a context that lends itself to writing. So. Sure. Um, so I want to, I just wanted to share that cause we haven't touched, we won't touch in with Pullman's biography too much in this episode. You can go listen to our golden compass episode if you want more of that. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the main thing to remember probably is that he is, he is a pretty vocal critic of like Christianity and that yes. is, that is part of the point of these books. Uh huh. There is a point at which a character literally says the Christian religion is a very powerful and convincing mistake. That's all. Sure. And I think we touched in the subtle knife episode a little bit on how funny it is that the Harry Potter series got so much like pushback and flack yes. from evangelical types for like promoting witchcraft or whatever it is that that means. But this, this series of books that is literally saying Christianity is a lie. <laughs> well, and that the first, not, and yeah, the first book is like the church is kidnapping and harming children. Right. Like, okay, that's a. I mean, the second part is real. Like, we yeah. could unpack that too. So yeah, yeah. And he's like, given, I mean, we live in Pennsylvania, and our state's attorney general has done a lot, lot, lot of yep. work around that in the last couple of years. So yeah. So he's been unavowed in his uh opposition to organized religion because he vowed is not the word unabashed Un unabashed is the word that i want thanks for being here why am i out. correcting your word because <laughs> you're the word man i can't um, remember uh, the difference between a swallow and a onesie and <laughs> i'm correcting your word choice uh i did um do a little bit of research on the fall of man andrew from cool, cool, cool. Just from, some cool light reading yeah from the bible maybe you've heard of it because it's a, little, um, a little indie title that i think is really gonna go a long <laughs> this way this book uh and the whole series his dark materials does it you know it takes its title from john milton's paradise lost um, and it kind of remixes some of those ideas. Um, so in case you don't know, I just wanted to give us like just the bare bones to remind us of what happened from the, from Wikipedia, the fall of man or the fall is a term used in Christianity to describe the transition of the first man and woman from a state of innocent obedience to God to a state of guilty disobedience. God made Adam and Eve. He made. He said, don't eat the fruit. The snake showed up, said, Eve, eat that fruit. She said, Adam, eat this fruit. And then they were shamed, and he kicked them out and condemned Adam to working and Eve to painful pregnancy. Bingo, bango. <sighs> um, in Milton's version in Paradise Lost, Adam and Eve already have like a sexual relationship and just hang out and do whatever. Um but then the serpent is like, yo, do you want to be gods? You should have some of this. Um, Adam is great apple. Adam decides. I love that it's an apple. Yeah. Like, did they? I guess they hadn't invented like Twinkies yet. I think it's just fruit and then like a bunch of stuff, like layers upon layers of, of history turned it specifically into an apple. Um, and then Adam in Milton decides to eat from the tree when he realizes that Eve has sinned also because he's such a hero that he's going to be guilty too. 
Um, and then they get labor. Yeah. Then they get cast out of the garden. They're told what's going to happen to humanity about the flood. And then maybe one day Christ will show up and redeem everyone. Um, and what I did not realize, cause I haven't read the Milton is like that. The first half of the book is actually all about like the war of the angels and Satan leading a rebellion. And then Satan becomes the snake who tempts them. So it's all like revenge for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to find more research on like specific parallels to this series, and I just kept ending up on like academic JSTOR pages and reading sentences like Pullman's magisterium draws parasitically upon the real Lexus and imagery of Christianity to affect a confusion of fantasy with actual organizations. And I got a headache. Um, and I <laughs> same, couldn't, same. I, I couldn't keep I going. Think I'll just say same. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I was just, I'm th- I was thinking a little bit about God, right? Sure. Because he made people. Yeah. And he gave people all the stuff that they have, all yeah. the like emotional parts and the physical parts. And then he got mad at them for yes. using the parts that. For for like doing the stuff that he gave them specifically, he didn't want them to know about good and evil for yeah. whatever reason. But he also like put the means to accessing that information, like really just just like it's a folder it's with no password protection called taxes, and like you know there's gonna be <laughs> porn in there. Yeah, that like, is there's, what there's, he did. It's temptation, and I. I was thinking about how weird that was, but then I was thinking, here's where I'm going to bring my cool dad perspective. Every episode's going to just have new like dad thoughts. The now. dad, the dad moment, the dad is advice. when Henry is just like really like right now he is crying, like not like a colicky amount, a normal amount, but he's he's crying enough that he is sort of getting a little the horse from all the yelling that he's doing. Yes, and it makes it it makes his cry sound worse and it just really it sounds really uncomfortable and it's funny how like i have had to stop myself from like being like upset at him yes or like mad with him sure which comes from like it's just you just he just doesn't he's just a baby he doesn't understand anything i don't know if the point i'm making you've spent so long being able to to deal with people with an equal amount of information uh-huh. about the world and about how things work uh-huh. that you could say don't do that or why would you do that and he uh-huh. literally has no concept of it yeah so yeah. like and, and it's it's not fair for me to get mad at him for not understanding that he's only making his problem worse when he keeps crying so you're but saying i do that... think i i think i i think i understand how god feels <laughs> but i think i'm also doing a better job than him because <laughs> okay i am realizing that I am upset, and but that's like a, on me. That's not on the baby who doesn't know anything. Yeah, so, okay. You so know. that's how you are better than particularly John Milton. That's how of I. God. This is, yeah. I think, my John Lennon bigger than Jesus moment. <laughs> it only and everybody, you. everybody's gonna burn all of our podcasts, but it's <laughs> fine. They're just gonna re-download them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andrew. So. All right, let's do plot stuff. Let's, let's do, do plot, plot stuff. stuff. This is the part where I have to do the podcast, and I'm just I'm not worried about it at all. Don't worry. Yes, about it. you're gonna you're Shut gonna up. do fine. Stop worrying about it. Yeah. Um. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, um, subtle knife. Okay. We just mm-hmm. need to like. So this is. I was part- gonna, I was gonna go back to Golden Compass. Oh, are you you do this? Okay, I go for just, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can you can help also. But I'll do I'm my best. Not. Uh, Golden Compass was about a a, a girl. She's like eleven or twelve, named uh, Lyra Bellaqua. She is a a child who lives and kind of has the run of this college in this universe that is like ours, but subtly different. The main difference is that people all have these things called daemons that are usually they, they, they take kind of an animal form and they are stand-ins for souls. Okay. Uh, so Lyra has a bunch of adventures. There's a woman so like named- save her friend Robert, right? To s- Roger. Roger. Okay. Roger. Yeah, Lyra's friend Roger disappears and she wants to help find him. Uh, she also meets this woman, Mrs. Coulter, who wants to take her away from the college and kind of provide her a home and and provide for her future education in a way that that uh, the college really can't. Like it's not set up to to yep. teach a 
young girl who doesn't want to show up to class in the first place. There's also this guy, uh, Lord Asriel, who is, I think in the first book, he's set up to be her uncle. Sure. Well, it sounds um, like that's going to change, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but he's, um, I th- I'm pretty sure we talked about this. Yeah, we talked but, about um, this. And uh, he is doing these experiments with this stuff called dust, like this mater- mysterious material called dust that seems to have some relationship with like matter and with people and with our universe, but it's not, it's not made explicit what that is yet. Okay. Um, so Lyra has a bunch of adventures trying to find Roger. Uh, Mrs. Coulter turns out to be her mom. She's also like super evil and is doing horrible experiments on kids, trying to like separate them from their daemons to release this, this dust related energy. Cool. Uh, Lord, Lord Azrael is, trying to use dust to like open up a portal to another world which he does Lyra helps this big old armored battle bear named Yorick Bernison I think bear, probably Bernison God stop it stop it Welcome back so, The first book is fun because you meet a lot of characters there's a lot of fun world building around the demons and a lot of just fun like fantasy adventure stuff Sure like you got a guy who flies a hot air balloon. You got an armored bear who fights another armored bear for control of the bear kingdom. Yeah, it is a fun book that obviously like leads into the the next book, but also I think stands alone pretty well as its own thing. Okay, subtle knife go. Subtle knife introduces this character named Will, who is he is a boy who lives in our world, like not the Damon world, but like our actual world. Great. He is mature beyond his years in part because his dad disappeared a long time ago and because his mother has some uh, some uh, mental problems that he had to grow. up. He is. Yeah. Yeah. He had to grow up and he, he is trying to hide that from people at school, from authority figures, from pretty much anybody who could notice and then use that as an excuse to like take him away from his mother. Uh, but that, that book begins with like some mysterious men are looking for something in his house. Will accidentally kills one of them and he is on the run and he sees this weird like window into that turns out to be into another universe. Um, this is kind of a third location. It's not Lyra's universe. It's not Will's universe. It's a different place. Sitagatze. Sitagatze. Mamma mia. That's what it's called. It's Sitagatze. Yeah. I make it a specters. Hey, yep. hey. <laughs> <laughs> he and and Lyra has at the end of the first book, Lord Azriel like kills a kid and opens up a portal yep. into into another universe, and so Lyra chases him, and Will comes into this other universe, and then they meet in this third location. They are distrustful of, of each other at first, but become kind of fast friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some adventures. Lyra's got this the golden, the titular golden compass, and then he gets a subtle knife, right? Basically, yeah. The golden compass is basically a cool Ouija board that tells you everything that you need to know. Great. Usually, it takes a long time to understand the meanings of all the things that it can tell you, but Lyra just intuitively understands it. Um, Will through so there's this there's whole this whole thing. Don't worry about it. Where we, some, someone we did a whole compass. podcast about it. Uh, yeah, we did a whole podcast about it. Will gets this thing called the subtle knife. It's a knife that can open up these windows into another universe. Perfect. So Will just found one. Great. But the knife is the thing that makes them. Um, and and they gotta like uncover the, the secret of dust and like find Asriel or something, right? Yeah, that's basically it. Um, there's also this other character that I didn't who who is in um, subtle knife who I didn't get to talk about very much a scientist named mary malone okay who is a scientist in our slash will's world who is doing these experiments that turn out to be dust adjacent like it turns out in in we visit a lot of universes in this third book in particular and most of the societies that we run into have some understanding of dust but maybe. they often like know it as as a different thing or they don't like you know they're they're maybe not as far along in being able to see it and understanding what it does okay but it is clearly a constant thing in all of these universes so there's a bit in subtle knife that I didn't get to talk about cuz cuz Mary is a fairly large part of the third book but she's really only just getting set up to go in this in this second book like the second book is way more concerned with the Lyra Will, Will storyline yeah. and then also the Lee Scoresby storyline, who yep. is kind of a 
who's a hot air balloonist and surrogate father figure in some ways. I feel like pretty much every adult man that Lyra meets ends up thinking of himself as a surrogate father figure. <laughs> sure. Because okay. she's just so like, she's so rad. So Mary Malone gets <laughs> set up as like a so, yeah, studier so Mary, of dust-ish. Ma- Mary Malone is doing these experiments and there's this whole passage where Mary Malone is on a computer and she's, it's this program or something that the university has been working on for a long time. She gets on a computer and she starts like IMing with dust. Yes. Boy, I, I don't know how much of this I should read, but she is, she is on this computer. She opens this program she had been working on and she's, she's manipulating things. It's like there, there was, there was, she almost understood something, but didn't quite. But then she meets Lyra and talks to Lyra and like something kind of clicks and she finishes this program. And then there is a, she, she hooks herself into this computer and she just, she types, hello, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Maybe this is crazy. Um, those words uh, arrange themselves on the left side of the screen, which wasn't like part of the program. So that surprises her. And she's like, whoa, something's going on here. And on the right side of the screen appear the words, ask a question. And so this is a conversation. This is the I am between Mary Malone and what turns out to be like dust. Um, cool. Are you shadows, which is the name of the the name of dust in this world, I guess, or that what what Mary Malone had understood as dust. Are you shadows? Yes. Are you the same as Lyra's dust? Yes. And is that dark matter? Yes. Dark matter is conscious? Evidently. (laughs) What I said to Oliver this morning, my idea about human evolution, is it correct? But you need to ask more questions. Um, So she IMs with Dust for a while and Dust tells her, essentially, you you need to find where Will and Lyra went. Find the girl and the boy. Waste no more time. Uh, You must play the serpent, it says. Ooh. Um. Yeah, we didn't talk about this. Okay. And it and it directs her to it tells her a specific place to go and this turns out to be a place where another like rift between universes has opened. Um so the last we see of her in Subtle Knife, she is she has tricked her way into into this other world and but we don't really we don't see what happens to her. And this is this is one of the many ways in which Subtle Knife doesn't feel as much like a book as Golden Compass. It feels like the first half of a thing because you have this thing that is so clearly the action. Like this is this is something you only write this way when you know you are going to follow it up with with something else and you already know what the something else is. Great. Um, So let's get into what the heck happens in Amber Spyglass. I want to know. I need to know. (laughs) Um, At the end of Subtle Knife, Lyra is taken. Great. Not great, um, but great. It's not great. And Will resolves to go after her. So that is that is one plot thread is like what happened to Lyra and then Will going after her. Lyra, it turns out that she was taken by Mrs. Coulter, who had been working with the church and on behalf of the authority, which we're led to believe is is God. Okay. Um, which we can talk about in a little bit. But uh, Mrs. Coulter is acting a little weird. She just like goes off and does this thing by herself. She doesn't really have any support. She's just in a hiding in a cave somewhere, <laughs> keeping Lyra drugged. Mm-hmm. Is she like keeping it's her safe? Keeping kind her of, like okay. in a way, she's keeping her safe. Insofar as she's keeping Mrs. Coulter is keeping Lyra away from the authority, but also she knows that Lyra would not like stand for it oh sure and so she's kind of taking that into into her own hands okay um i think i would describe this book as a whole just to like set everything up as a big mess (laughs) with some good parts okay well tell me about the mess I'll I'll judge for myself. You tell it's me so about hard, the mess. It's so hard to know where to where to start. So, Just so tell Will what Will Will is looking for Lyra. He is aided by angels. Yeah, where did the Literally angels come angels. from? Who are they? They're just angels. Okay. Do they have personalities? They, they do, but it, I read this part of the book before I had a baby, and that just feels like a long time ago. So. Oh, great. Okay, sure. And they don't. They end up being important, but like not. They're not around that much. So just just know that. Will is aided by some angels who are helping him look for 
Lyra. Is this the first time in the series that you've been like, oh, dang, this is like some Bible stuff? This book, okay, so as a result of, yes, to answer your question, yes. As okay. a result of what Lord Asriel did at the end of the first book where he opened up this rift between universes, it has had this really destabilizing effect on other universes. Great, perfect. And a lot of a lot of beings from different universes are coming together. Like we learn in Subtle Knife that Lord Asriel is basically assembling an, an army to fight the authority. Great. And... How very what we of him. what we also are, are get in this in this book is that in, in we get it a little bit in subtle knife and then it's made explicit in in spyglass is it's not like great for you personally to exist outside of the universe where you belong just like oh, it takes sure. a physical toll on you if you remember uh, we talked a little bit about Will's dad who is who Will does find by the end of of Subtle Knife and But it doesn't is, go great, yeah. It doesn't grow great. Like he he is he is killed, but even before he is killed, he is sickly kind of before his his time. He was he was in his prime when he disappeared and ten years have passed. But it was since precipitous. He, yeah. Since he like disappeared into what ended up being Lyra's world, but those ten years have really weakened him and, and aged him a lot because he's just existing in a place where he he doesn't belong okay now he he does if you remember he does find a daemon and that's gonna be important i'm important. sure okay so the angels are like the first big bible thing but the whole setup the, the matrix first, is breaking down angels are the first big bible thing but you do get a you do get a sense that by trying to create this one big like coalition of peoples from all these different worlds like lord Ezreal is maybe doing more harm than good or like he doesn't quite understand what he's the impact what he's, sure yeah the impact of what he what he's doing um so yeah that in in this book you just get a bunch of and the angels are part of this you just get a bunch of stuff thrown at you like the first book it's like cool yeah damons cool i'm on board okay great there are bears armored bears they're fantasy big book. cool arm they're big cool fantasy armored bears and it's great and this book is just like, okay, angels exist. Okay, there are these little tiny people who have short lifespans and like poison stilettos that they, <laughs> and they ride dragonflies and like that's just a thing now. Yeah. Um, there are, there's the, the world of the dead and there are harpies in it. Like it just kind of, it just keeps throwing stuff at you. And so what does Will do with the angels that like gets us to little people and gets us to the land of the dead? Because I didn't know that we went to the land. I mean, of the dead. he's he's looking for Lyra. Okay. Lord Land of the Dead thing doesn't even come up till a little bit later. He's looking for Lyra and he happens to so the because the worlds are unstable and things are kind of breaking down a little bit, the habitat of the armored bears has like started to melt a little bit. And they are kind of roaming around trying to look for a place where they can stay. Because they're big polar bears. They would need it to be cold. Yeah. They and would. so they've <laughs> They left their home and they're looking for other stuff. And so Will, and I didn't even remember this being a part of this book until now, because again, I did read the first part of it before I had a baby. And it's just wild how far away that seems. Sure. Hit me. Um, but Will with this knife is like going, he, he the, the angels are, are directing him and he's, he's just going north to try and find Lyra. And he happens to meet these bears and like, he gets in this, this standoff with Eorik, who is trying to who who is just, you know, to take care of his people, kind of raiding villages a little bit. Like the bears, if you remember, don't have any particular love for humans. Like on an individual level, they can form relationships. And of course everyone wants to be pals with Lyra, but the bears and the humans are not necessarily like natural allies. Sure, sure. Um so the bears are trying to take stuff from this village and will basically like he bluffs his way into he he both bluffs and then holds this knife and shows Eoric that it can just like cut his armor without even without any effort at all. Mm. And it's a combination of like that chutzpah <laughs> and, and the fact that he has a rad knife that makes Will and Yorick become friends. Okay. Um and is he like, hey, Bear, help me find our mutual friend? Well, Yorick is also looking for Lee Scoresby, who had died in the in the previous book, okay, also sure. looking for Lyra. Um, but yeah, they, they're all looking for Lyra. They do eventually find her, and they 
so Will meets Mrs. Coulter for the first time. Oh yeah, for and the first time. So this this book does a lot of stuff to kind of reframe Mrs. Coulter. So we've we have experienced her to to this point as an almost cartoonishly evil character. And a lot of that cartoonishness comes from this golden monkey that is her daemon that is just absolutely horrifying and horrible <laughs> to everything and everybody. Okay. Just, and it's described in such monstrous terms that when this book starts trying to make me sympathize with Mrs. Coulter, I'm like, are you, did you, are you sure? Are you good? Like, did you, like, maybe you didn't need to, wait until this third book to give her any redeeming qualities like maybe you shouldn't have made her murder children before you decided that i needed to be in her corner in some way so Philip. so i found a quote from him about this actually i'm glad we're talking about this um they were asking about the movies and how they didn't get to make all of them and what he thought of nicole kidman's performance as mrs coulter um and he was like kind of sad that she didn't get to make a Spyglass movie because he wanted to see her transition into being a more quote unquote, you know, someone we could root for maybe. Um, and the person asked, did you know that she was going to become good or something? And he goes, I love Mrs. Coulter dearly. I always treated her with the greatest wary respect in all of her scenes. She was ghastly, really, but also wonderful to write about. I'd run a mile from her in real life. <laughs> And then he tells a story about how some moment in this book where like her get her like monkey like rips a bat apart. He's like, Yeah, I uh-huh. saw that at a zoo once and it was terrifying. Uh okay. That's kind of cool. <laughs> but it but he says like it's a morally odd moment because the monkey didn't know it was just like ripping a bird apart because it was curious. Um which I don't know if that's exactly what, how it's portrayed in the book, but it gets to your idea of like what of knowledge and like morality being linked, I think a yeah. little bit. So is she a, is she in the party? Is she a good guy now? She's, she's not in the party, but you do see, and, and this scene with her and Will is really essential to reframing her because Will looks at her, this woman who he's never met before. And she is, she's got Lyra in this cave. She does seem to be, worried about her or caring for her in some way, even though she did kidnap her and she, he, she did drug her like Mm. those, those things are bad. Yes. But she does seem to be worried about her in some way. And Will's impression of her is of an adult Lyra. And so Lyra's thing, like you might remember uh, that she was called Lyra Silvertongue in the first book because she is so adept at spinning these lies that, help her out and help her friends out. Like she, she is just a gifted liar and like spinner of yarns. Sure. In a way that is really has, has always been helpful to her in a pinch. Um, and will sees in this like manipulative woman, a version of, of Lyra that has like grown up and you know, that thing about how like you wear a mask and then eventually it just becomes your yes, face. Like, I think sure. it's, I think it's a version of, Lyra, who's been lying for so long that she kind of for, for has forgotten how not to. Cool. Okay. But then there's this there's this passage that gets the heart of her transition, I guess, like such as it is. And I'm not I'm not saying that I find it super satisfying or, or convincing. Again, I think that Pullman was way too like leaned way too hard into making her awful in the first couple books for me to feel good about rooting for her at all in this book, even though I'm clearly supposed to. Um, but this is, this is her talking, I think to Asriel cause he like kidnaps her like after Lyra is rescued by will. Right. And yep. then, but in, and then in come the forces of Lord Asriel, who's try who's trying to find her, like the authorities also trying to find her. Everyone's trying to find Lyra. But uh, what ends up happening is, is Lyra and Will get away thanks to the knife and the Mrs. Coulter is, is captured by Asriel. And so she's, she is trying to explain her actions and it's not even clear whether she's manip- being manipulative or being truthful but this is this gets to the heart of this transition i've been the worst mother in the world i let my only child be taken away from me when she was a tiny infant because i didn't care about her i was concerned only with my own advancement i didn't think of her for years and if i did it was only to regret the embarrassment of her birth but then the church began to take an interest in dust and in children and something stirred in my heart and i remembered that i was a mother and lyra was my child and because there was a threat, I saved her from it. And it talks about 
ways in which she has done stuff that's been awful, but also has been is coming from a place of caring about Lyra. So that's kind of how the book tries to get you on board with her. Okay. Well, and maybe, I don't know. I could envision a world where Pullman doesn't want you to feel totally comfortable with her, like hanging out in a room necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But at least it's a little more complicated than cartoon evil. Uh, so as as Will is rescuing Lyra, you have to have a very specific kind of mental balance to slice a, a window open with this knife and get into another world. And while he is trying to do this once, I think maybe even in the confrontation with Mrs. Coulter, like I, I'd said before that they escape thanks to the knife. And I actually don't think that's true. I think they escape in spite of what happens to the knife. Okay. But he is, because Mrs. Coulter has kind of distracted him, he is thinking of his mom at the exact wrong moment. And it's like the knife catches on something and it breaks. Mm, okay. Um, and then they meet up with Yorick, who is, as you might remember, a master metal worker because they are these big armored bears and they got to know a lot about metal. And Yorick is like, I, I can fix this thing, but I got to tell you, I don't have a great feeling about it. Ooh. I just don't think I don't think it's it's there's bad stuff can happen because of this knife mm. and I'll fix it because I respect you and because I respect Lyra and because you seem like you need it to do what you're going to do. But I just it gives me the heebies. Do the bears have hands, Andrew, like hand They've hands? They've got to have like if they're like fingers, they're blacksmiths like They've how to have <laughs> thumbs. Right. Uh, now I'm just picturing a bear putting a big hammer in his mouth and just banging on a shield. And I'm having a good time over here. So they, why do they need to? They need to fix the knife to do what? Kill Asriel or no, save I mean, the they, world? They need to. They need to be able to switch universes again. Okay. I think. I think they are looking for Asriel. It would make um, sense. Yeah. But I'm trying to think what their like big MacGuffin is. Th- oh yes, right, right, right. At the beginning of every chapter in the early parts, Lyra is talking to Roger. Oh. Her friend, her friend who died. Okay. And he is he is somewhere. He is in what ends up being the world of the dead. And to get there, they need the knife to be working. Hmm. So Will is looking Will wants to talk to his dad again. Lyra is looking for Roger, which has been the, you know, it's a reason she left the college in the first place. It's been her through line this whole time. So they cut through a couple different things it's it's pretty it's it's pretty interesting like they they um find this world where like this guy is dead in a field and then they cut through again and it's this it looks like the exact same world but it really resists them like entering it and it turns out to be kind of this in-between place where you are right after you die. Whoa. Okay. Like it's a, this guy who was dead in the field is in his house and he's like, whoa, what happened to me? I'm dead. And, <laughs> and eventually you get drawn inexorably toward this, this like weird shanty town, which is both like a, I guess a Ellis Island for hell. <laughs> yeah, sure. But also a place where, People who aren't dead yet, who are trying to get into the land of the dead, just like wait, wait out. around. Yeah, like their their deaths are literally literally personified, kind of like demon demons, and they can like talk to their deaths. And as you get closer to dying, your like death is closer to you, and is just like hanging out. Man. There's this old lady who's gonna die, and she's in a bed, and her her death is just like in bed with her, and they all like chat. This these books own bones. There's they this... do. There are parts of them that own bones, and there are parts of them that are big, messy messes. <laughs> okay, so but they're going. They they're going to hell or something. They yeah, they're going to the land of the dead to find Will's dad and find Roger. Okay, um, and so they get to what is essentially the River Styx. There's like a boatman, and he's he's like people. Listen, every time I take people here, they're they're like, don't you know who I am? I'm going to get out of here. You know, I, I'm I'm going to be the one who comes comes back and, and you can't do this to me. And so Will and Lyra, as living people who are going to go into the world of the dead and are, and swear to come back like they don't seem that different from anybody. Sure, else. sure, sure. Um, But to to go there. Like Lyra needs to be separated from Pantalaemon, her her Damon. Oh, um, and it's this. 
she promised Roger and she has to go. And it's this, it's this deeper moment of, of anguish between these two characters that I'm not going to capture appropriately because my voice sounds the way it does. And because I'm kind of rushing a little bit, but it's this really like deeply affecting moment where you are with this thing. Always. It's part of you. And like, will is leaving part of himself behind the, the, there are a couple of Galavespians. Remember the little people I told yes, you about yes. just like tiny little people. There are a couple of those with them who they, they were originally spies for Lord Asriel, but they take up with Will and Lyra and like say that they'll just stick with Will and Lyra to watch over. Oh, them so they're, Lord they're Asriel, Palum and they, Porum. Yeah. yeah but, just... the, and, but they end up like becoming friends with them. Yep. Yeah, sure. I guess that, I guess they don't turn into stone. No, but they are, hallway, they're, but... they, they were supposed to spy on you and now they're your friends. And and they're cool side characters. Great, great, yes, great. Right, exactly. He leaves them behind, so she has to leave Pantalaemon behind. Yeah, but so yeah, the Galavespians have to leave something behind. Uh, Will has to leave something behind. But as the, as the boatman kind of tells her, like you are the only person who knows this part of you. You know, mm. like you're the only one who can like put a face on it, put a personality on it. Um, everybody's leaving something behind, but you have the misfortune to have that be an external thing that you are deeply like tied to and yep. know that you're tied to. Um, so they go to the world of the dead. They meet these harpies who Lyra tries to tell them a big, cool story about why they're there. And the harpies are like, you're lying. <laughs> Stop lying. You're, you suck. You're bad. And it helps Lyra come to this like realization that she's been lying all this time and that it's just hard for her to tell the truth about stuff because she's had kind of a tough life. Yeah. Um, so she comes to this agreement with the harpies where like, what if instead of watching over the dead and trying to like keep them down here, you talked to like they, they Will and Lyra have come to the conclusion that they want to let people out of here like they they've there's got to be a way to let people out of the land of the dead because it's just like this dark crappy purgatory (laughs) kind of place um but the harpies are like the guard the guardians of the of the land of the dead so so lyra comes to this agreement with them where what if because you seem to like the truth so much what if people just told you they came through and they told you their life stories wouldn't that get you more energy and like be cooler than just like feasting off of people's misery all the time, huh. which is how they've lived t- to date, I guess. It's like, um, oh, it's the reverse. It's the Monsters, Inc. reverse. Instead of drawing energy from screaming, we're going to get better energy from laughing. That's yes, what it is. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly what it is. Sure. So we'll, the the Land of the Dead stuff is all is all pretty cool. The dead people end up coming out of the world and they just become dust. Like they they become part of the universe again. Ooh, um, that's cool. Mary Malone, God, meets these. She, she, okay. Remember Mary Malone, the yeah, person I just told her. you about? <laughs> yeah, she has. She's entered this world, and uh-uh. she meets these sentient beings called Mulefa, 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 or something. Yeah, and they are these. It's really, it's honestly really hard to to describe them because they're not vertebrates like they don't have like a central spinal column they're they're kind of a rain they, they've got more of like a diamond deed skeleton why not and they've also got like elephantish trunks but also like these front claws and they take these claws and they put them into these big like circular seed pods and they use them like wheels so they're basically like motorcycle elephants yes <laughs> um and she you know she makes friends with them and she like she knows that Something about this place and these things and this location, like it, it's going to help her understand about dust in a way that she needs to to understand. Like she was she was told to be the serpent. She doesn't fully understand what that means. She knows she needs to be looking for Will and Lyra, but she also knows that she needs to stay here and figure something out. OK. And it turns out like it's it's this whole thing where dust basically fertilizes the trees that these big like wheel seed pods that are essential to these things way of life come from okay and they've been those trees have been slowly failing for a period of roughly like 300 years or so and it comes to like you come to find out that hey like 300 years ago this subtle knife was invented and some like other stuff happened oh it's bad news bad like york said okay i'm so i'm just making such a hopeless mess out of this i'm gonna get better at podcasting again but it's just like a muscle that i don't know no, how to use that's anymore. okay i just want to know i want to get to the part where 
we like fight God or something? Like what? Honestly, the big okay. Because <laughs> that's what Lyra, I've heard about this. Will book. and Lyra make it out of the world of the dead, and they are going toward Lord Azrael, and they're trying to find their daemons because Will has one now too. Okay. Um, and he can just feel that he has one now because he's been in this world for long enough. And Lord Azrael is starting this big old war with God. And it's honestly just such a big, confusing, pointless mess. Like there's this scene where they like accidentally free the authority who is an angel who is pretending to be God. But he was like trapped in this crystal thing and they cut him out with the knife. And he's so old and insubstantial now that he just kind of dissolves into the wind. Whoa. Because all the angels are made of dust. And there's this other, there's this big angel named Metatron who is the kind of the big bad, but he almost doesn't factor in at all. Okay. And Lord Asriel and Mrs. Coulter like band together and kill him because they both care about Lyra so much. And there's this, there's this guy that the church sends to assassinate Lyra named Father Gomez, who you just check in with periodically as he tracks them down. And then he just ends up dying anyway. And it doesn't matter. Nothing happens. Okay. Like that's just, that's how I kind of feel about the the war with the authority and the war with God or whatever. It's like a couple chapters. It's super chaotic. It's not nearly as compelling as like the realm of the dead Lyra will stuff. And then it's over and, and you get into the, like the epilogue part of the book. Can I just ask a question about Lord Azrael? Cause I feel like he has been such a background character. Do we, get any more of him in this book aside from this big fight we get some of it and we get some car that he invented called a um <laughs> called an intention craft i think Heck yeah that you just like it's a big invisible like airplane car that you'd fly with your mind i don't care how you feel about the plot of these books but i want to play tabletop games in this universe yeah it's these. like what if what if a bunch of world building but it wasn't all, in the first book. The world building all felt kind of gradual and organic. And yeah. in this one, it's like, yeah, angels are a thing now. Yeah. Here's a car you can fly with your mind. Yeah. Here's little like Tinkerbells who kill you with their stilettos. What if motorcycle like, elephants? Like here's just a big, here's a big scene where they have part of Lyra's hair and they're trying to use it to make a bomb that can find her and kill her no matter what universe she's in. Yes! And yeah, and it's a thing. And there's this whole big scene where Mrs. Coulter and another one of the Galavespians like find it and get rid of it and just like blow a bunch of stuff up and you read it and you're like, what did I just read? Like what just happened? It feels it feels like it's supposed to be the main driving action of the book, but it also feels really peripheral and like not especially impactful. I don't okay. know. Maybe this is just me. It might be you, but it might also be like what you came to the book for what we have discovered. We are liking about the book, which is like the fantasy or the, the elements that feel more fantasy book. Whereas Pullman has talked much like a lot about critiques of the church and critiques of, religion and you know all that kind of stuff which seems like it has been less of what you have enjoyed in these books just like functionally from a craft perspective yeah right okay um what's the epilogue about so we get to the epilogue is a few chapters this is where the nearly pointless father gomez thing ends up getting resolved where he just dies and cool. his gun like rusts on the ground and it's he's, <laughs> he's all dead okay. um will and lyra chase like they are they're being attacked by these specters like it's part of the big the, the chaos of this war with the authority and they grab their daemons and they each it's important that they each grab the other's daemon oh, just in, the, in that... the quickness of the moment cuz they both they both like feel a way about each other yeah like teen like that they have yeah that they haven't like fully explored because they've been in hell and like having all kinds of cool adventures and there's not a lot of room for like thinking about your changing bodies i guess <laughs> yeah, which seems like Pullman has talked a lot about that part, that element of these books is that they are oh, becoming yeah, it's, it's like explicit, sexual it's explicit, teens. It's explicit in a way that almost makes me a little bit uncomfortable as an adult okay. reading it. I think if you were a teen reading it, you would be like, ooh. Oh, okay. Sure. I kind of, I kind of understand what is, what is going on here. But as an adult reading it, it's like, ooh. Maybe I, I should. Don't know, I don't know if I need to read about <laughs> a young girl going into puberty. Okay. Fair enough. That seems that seems 
suspect. <laughs> well, it's just like how do you read it? Yeah, I, I hear that. Okay, no, so and it's, it's not. I don't. I don't think it's it. It's not. Like we talked in our episode about Stephen King's It. There's yes. a, there's a scene toward the end of that where that's that bad. Is, that involves like teens and sex and stuff. There there's nothing about this that feels too explicitly gratuitous or or male gazy. Even yeah. it's just about a couple of kids reaching that like cusp of adulthood and their daemons are going to settle down and they are realizing that they have like these feelings inside of them and they they're realizing that they make each other feel a way that they've never felt before so that that's a big part of the epilogue and then comes this the the witch seraphina picala who's been a friend of lyra's since the first book and then this other angel who comes down and tells them basically it's not good for stuff to live in a in a universe that doesn't belong to it. Uh-oh. You guys can't. You guys can't be together. Oh no! So it's, and not only can you not be together, but the people who made the subtle knife were just. You know how you, Craig, leave the cabinets open. Yeah, I do. I do. When you go to get food, you just leave the cabinets open like a horrible monster. I do. The people who invented the subtle knife just like left their rifts into another universe open. Oh. And when you do that, you also are leaving a slit of all the universes like open just into the void and dust goes escapes out the void Ooh. and becomes specters. So not only are you making specters when you make these windows, but also, you know how the, the seed pod trees were kind of failing and, yep. and this like dust seemed to be important. I don't know. Something, something was wrong with dust. It's because of all these rifts between universes, like things have become so destabilized and the only the only answer is to close every window except one window can continue to exist, but you can't use it to see each other because it needs to be the window that helps people in the world of the dead escape into the universe and become dust again. Huh. So you can never see. I know you just realized that you love each other very deeply, but you can never see each other again. So is that the I I have come to understand that they are like a mini adam and eve is the temptation each other but then they don't give in to to reset it's the not, world it's not even a, it's not even about about them giving in well well because they don't i imagine the book ends with them the, not being together right the fall the fall of man is is set up as like there there was one there was a moment there was one thing that happened yeah 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 that led to the fall of man so i i guess they resist temptation insofar as they make the selfless choice to repair all these rifts in the universe so everything yes. can go back to normal yeah yeah um i've that's some of the some of the jstor articles that i declined to read <laughs> Um, we're making. And thank you so much to our <laughs> listeners who every time we mention JSTOR, like, hey, do you guys need PDFs? I do love it. You actually. Just like open up your trench coat with all these JSTOR PDFs in yes. there. Yes. Um, they they are making comparisons between, like, knowing that like Lyra is supposed to be some sort of second Eve, and like, what is what does it mean for Mary Malone to play the snake? And like bringing them together, but then I guess they have to be apart. And like referring to it as almost like a reverse fall of man, because I don't think Pullman thinks that knowledge is a bad thing. He actually thinks it's a very, very good thing. Right. So let's let's actually talk about that real fast, because something we've talked about in both of our previous episodes is that dust is it is both defined and not. It is, you know, what what dust is, is hinted at, Mm. but it's never made explicit. Like we've seen scenes where. People can see dust like surrounding, I don't know, they were in like a museum and around when man became like quote unquote civilized or self-aware. Like that's when dust started to become a thing. Um, so this is this is Mary's internal monologue, I think. Uh, dust came into being when living things became conscious of themselves, but it needed some feedback system to reinforce it and make it safe as the mulefa had their wheels and the oil from the trees. Without something like that, it would all vanish. Thought, imagination, feeling would all wither and blow away, leaving nothing but a brutish automatism. And that brief period when life was conscious of itself would flicker out like a candle in every one of the billions of worlds where it had burned brightly. So it is both it's it's both a self-awareness, but also like an ability to shape the world around you almost like yeah. it, it is a, it is a balance. It is both conscious and consciousness. It sounds but, like, but yeah, like it's th- this, 
you could view it you could view this thing with the mulifa and their wheels like as unnatural because they weren't like born with these wheels they don't get these wheels until they become adults sure but the wheels also are integral to their way of life and their like civilization um but that comes from them like learning how to get them and yeah, use yeah, them yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which to, which again to me is like it's knowledge vis-a-vis the garden of eden is a bad thing mm-hmm. knowledge about the world and your ability to change it here is a good thing except if you use it to tear down all the walls between the worlds <laughs> dust is only a name for what happens when matter begins to understand itself matter loves matter it seeks to know more about itself and dust is formed mm. uh, the first angels condensed out of dust and the authority was the first of all Hmm. Um, he told those who came after him that he had created them, but it was a lie. One of those who came later was wiser than he was, and she found out the truth, so he banished her. We serve her still. This is uh, Balthamos, one of the angels who meets Will. Okay. Talking about basically the Lucifer thing. Yeah, sure. But yeah. but but in the context of the authority being not actually God, just being some angel who set himself up above all the other angels. Hmm. And so, okay. like, Christianity is a lie, dust is great, the end. <laughs> sure. That's, that's, that's mostly the book. I enjoyed this one better than Subtle Knife because it has where the Subtle Knife started stuff. This actually finishes it. I Like I said, I think the the war with God feels almost ancillary to the rest of it. And a well, lot of the... A lot of the the world building feels cool, but also out of nowhere. Mm, like here's just a thing over here and here's here, like, just a thing yeah, over like, there. They're, they're tiny assassins who ride dragonflies. Just like roll with it. It's fine. Yeah. <clears throat> I can think of stories where that works for me. Like that has ever happened and it's usually in a in a slimmer, more contained story. I would. Ha- I think I would have to be, I would have to read the first one again and I also would have to just be a different person now. Maybe. To better articulate why I thought it felt good in the first book and then in this book it felt like capriciousness you know? okay that's fair it, well it's interesting because and and this will take us home I, I was struck when you were talking about will meeting Coulter and Yorick that we were like circling back on characters from the first story with a new perspective by like bumping Lyra over to the side a little bit we get to meet all the important people again in some additional context. And that seems like a cool thing to do with your third book. When you are spending that third book also throwing a bunch of new stuff at the reader, that it sounds like that is what you were like, well, but I have these other people that I already know. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't need these new characters now. Um, it's maybe, maybe it's like when they... Just, Put up. They focus tested the book and added a whole bunch of new characters because the 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 youth liked it. <laughs> Network television jokes. It's just the the, the poochie of it. <laughs> Our folks who are listening can let us know what they think about the amber spyglass. Real quick, Andrew, what is the amber spyglass? I didn't actually learn. Oh yeah, it's because it's not that interesting. <laughs> Mary Malone <laughs> builds. A spyglass out of resin. What like she these? makes she makes these thin sheets of resin that she can look through. Uh-huh. And then she discovers that if she puts two of these sheets at the opposite ends of a tube, she can like see dust. Cool. Okay. And she can diagnose what the problem is with these trees and like what's happening with dust. That seems important to but it's, like, like moving you don't, things along. You don't hit it until halfway into the book and then it never really comes up again so the the knife seems like the most important of the three the compass and the knife are both way more important as objects than the spyglass great and also like way more cool and versatile sure like you got a compass that can tell you anything you want (laughs) you got a knife that can let you into any universe and then you've got these two pieces of amber at the ends of a toilet paper tube that let you see dust one of these things is not like the other. I know I know which ones I would choose if I had to. Like if if I were in a video game and I was at a shop. 
yeah. and I only had money for two of the three things. I yes. know which thing I would leave on, sure. the, on the counter. Great. Well, our listeners can tell us what they would leave on the counter. Write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up online, Facebook or Twitter.com slash overduepod. Andrew is asleep, so I'm going to tell you that if you want to learn more about the show, you can go to overduepodcast.com where we have links to our old episodes and links to episodes we'd recommend to new listeners and links to um, buy the books that we read and what we're reading next, maybe by the time you're seeing this. Who knows? Um, you can also use that to get to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review, not a bad review or no a mean bad one. Ones. Just a good one about how much you like dust. <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for taking time to tell me about your baby and about the book you read and how you felt about it. I really appreciate it because you have to go care for your child and this was a distraction. Care for my child, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it back. I think I'm gonna get it back I podcasting. Think, I think you still sort of have it. It's just different and that's okay. Oof. Sometimes different is bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you do know how to end every show, right, Andrew? I do. Until we talk to you next time, everyone, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast. I've only it's been, just this is just another fluid. It's gonna get on me one way or another. I've only been thrown up on once, and then I want when I want to talk about this book. I was on a bus and someone threw up while they were standing behind me on the bus, and it got all over the back of my legs. And then I just walked <laughs> to work, and thankfully I work at a theater and we have a laundry and machine. You get, just get barf on your legs all the time. Yeah, in, in this business no, that, of show. Yes. Yeah, so you know we barf on people regularly at the theater so i just washed my pants at the office like you do <laughs> i haven't worked in an office since 2012 so i don't know what's normal but i don't think that it's not is normal <laughs>